0: That's fine. Hello, everyone. Good to see you. Happy Saturday night. Jeff, um, that might be the first time I've ever heard forlorn used in church announcements, so well done with that. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm Christy Kerr. Uh, It's great to see you. Uh, I belong with him, and we are the pastors here. Um, And I'm going to be sharing a little bit, uh, continuing our rebuilding series, but I wanted to take a second and just uh, say thank you to all of you. Um, I don't know all of you, but uh, many of you know that my dad passed away uh, earlier this month, January 5th, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for all the love and support uh, that our church family has given and shown to my mom and my sister and myself and our family, and um, not just this month uh, since he passed, but since his diagnosis of cancer in in this fall, uh, you have all just rallied around us. And so it's been a challenging uh, season, but God is faithful and God is good, and um, I'm doing good. I'm okay. I'm a little quiet. I'm a little, I feel like I'm kind of turning into a little bit of a hermit, but I'm really determined to just allow myself to grieve the way I need to grieve. I think a lot of, in this side of the world, we're terrible at grieving. We just like move right past it and we kind of just get busy and numb it. And so um, I'm really trying to just spend some quiet time with the Lord and with my, my mom and my family. And um, so I just want to say a special thank you to all of you. And I'm not going to talk much more about it I gotta preach, so we're gonna get into the word. But I just wanted to say thank you. So, we've been on a series of um, covering the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and we're calling it Rebuilding. So tonight in your Bibles, you can turn to Ezra chapter 3, because we're going to be studying a little part of this story tonight. Uh, so in Ezra chapter 3, that's where we're going to be. And I just want to start by kind of giving you an overview of what is happening in the context. Because these two books are really giving us insight into a really fascinating time in the history of the people of Israel. It's giving us insight into this story of what is going on. And I know Jeff a couple of weeks ago gave a big picture overview. Um, but the basic fundamental fundamental part of what's happening is that Moses and Joshua had led the people of Israel out of Egypt into the land that God had promised them. And then came the time of the kings. So David and Saul and Solomon and Israel was thriving. It was a strong nation. They were winning battles. They were strong. They were conquering. But what was happening was the people's devotion began to wane and they started to walk away from the things of God. And slowly and slowly their devotion to God uh, began to fade away. And idolatry, crept into their lives. They started worshiping other idols. They started taking on the practices of the people around them. And so God, finally, God keeps warning them to change their ways. And they don't listen. And so eventually God allows them to be conquered by the Babylonians. And the city, the temple, and the walls of the city are completely destroyed. And the people of Israel are taken away from Babylon and or, taken away from Israel and carried into captivity in Babylon. I have a map Okay, I'm going to do a little Sunday school first because we're going to just talk about it. So just sometimes we say these things and we think it doesn't feel real. But this is actually, there's Jerusalem and they're carried off into Babylon. So... That's what happened. They're literally conquered, and they are all taken. And this was a common practice. When empires would come and they would conquer one another, the first thing they would do is they would come and they would take the best and the brightest. So they'd take the architects, and they would take the builders, and they would take the the leaders. And first they would take them so that it would strengthen their empire. They would take the people that were skilled workers, the sailors, the people that could do things. And they would look for these highly qualified people. And they'd take them first. And then they'd come back and they'd take everyone else. and eventually they would create this slave workforce for their country and then they would reverse it. Then they would send people from Babylon back to settle that land. So not only did they clear it out and destroy it and take the best and brightest and everybody else back to their land, then they would send their people to now settle it and they would conquer that territory. So not only had the people been taken out of their homeland, other people had moved in while they were gone. But after around 70 years, the Babylonians are conquered by the Persians, and Cyrus, the king of Persia, declares that the Hebrew people can return to their land. I have another timeline that you can kind of look at here. There's the fall, and then the decree of Cyrus right there. That is has happened. Cyrus, the king, decrees that the people who had been taken away and carried off into Babylon, that they could go home that they could return. Now this again was a fairly common practice when an empire was conquered. So Babylon had been conquered by Persia and so the new empire came in and here's what they wanted to do. They wanted to look like the heroes. And so all these people that were now living in Babylon who had been carried away, they're gonna say, you know what? We're going to be the really good guys, and we're going to let you go back to where you came. They would want to try and gain favor and establish their authority within the new land, and one way they would do that would be to release the people who had been conquered by the previous empire to try and win their loyalty, because now I'm like, Cyrus, you're amazing. You let me go home. I'll be devoted to you forever. Can you see what a great strategy that actually was? And especially what they would do is they would say, we want to honor your religious practice, so they would find out what was important to the people. And to the people of Israel, nothing was more important than to have a temple and to offer sacrifices back in the land that God had given their forefathers and their ancestors. And so Cyrus was no dummy. <laughs> so he said, you know what? You can go back and you can rebuild your temple. And you can rebuild your altar and you can take your priests. And we're going to even go find the artifacts that we stole from the temple in the first place. And you can take them with you and you can go back and you can rebuild your temple So a group of Israelites are allowed to return to their homeland and begin rebuilding. So a man named Zerubbabel is in charge of the rebuilding of the temple, and they begin working on the altar and the foundation of the temple. And Ezra 3, 1 through 6 shows us the moment where they rebuild the altar of God. So I want you to think about all that's transpired. They've been taken away 70 years. Now they're coming back. They make this journey, and they begin, and the first thing they do is they build the altar. And they start making sacrifices again, just like their ancestors had done in the exact same spot. It says they found the exact same spot where the rubble was, where it was broken down in the first place. And they rebuild it. This was a huge moment. And then Ezra 3, 7 shows us that they start rebuilding the temple. And so they start rebuilding and they get the foundation done. They get the bottom layer done of the foundation. And this is where we're going to start here in Ezra chapter 3, 10 through 13. It says this: When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets, and the Levites, descendants as Aesaph, clasped their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. And when with praise and thanks they sang this song to the Lord, He is so good; His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard from the distance." I want to talk to you about this moment for a second because I think it's something really important about uh, that we need to learn as we are studying this portion of scripture on rebuilding. I want to talk about the difference between building and rebuilding. There's a big difference between building and rebuilding because rebuilding means something has been broken. Rebuilding means something has been destroyed. Rebuilding means something has been lost. Rebuilding means one season has ended and another is beginning. Let me, let me put it to you this way. Imagine these two scenarios. First, imagine you decided to build a house, right? Imagine that you have been thinking about it. You've been looking at plans. You've been looking at land. And all of a sudden, you're looking at all of the different things going on. And finally, you decide, you know what? I think it's good. It's the right time. We're going to build a house. So you weigh all the options. The conditions are good. Everything looks great. You find the land. You pick out a design. You pick out all your favorite fixtures and finishes. And you watch it go up with excitement. That's building. But I want you to contrast to this. What if you're living in a house and you love your house? You've lived in your house forever. It's got all your favorite things around you and you love your house. You want to stay in that house forever. And then one day your house catches fire and it burns to the ground. And you're devastated and heartbroken and you have lost all the things that you love. And the insurance money comes in and you start to rebuild your home. Now, even though you might get to pick all your own fixtures and all the new things, and it might even be better, it's still different. It's still mingled with sadness because there's a loss associated with it. It wasn't your decision, it wasn't your choice. You're excited about the new, but you're still wishing you had the old. You're not building, you're rebuilding. You might be super excited about it, but it's always tingled with a little bit of sadness. You, are, you hadn't mentally prepared yourself for this new thing. You hadn't made the decision on your own, like, this is great, we're going to do it. You just found yourself in a place where you had no choice but to rebuild. And now you're forced to do something new, but maybe you wish you could have made that decision when you wanted to make it and when you were ready for it. And even though in your head you know this new house is going to be better, it's going to be great, you're still missing the way things used to be and all the things you loved about your old home. In Ezra 3.12, the older priests and Levites who had seen the old temple with their own eyes and had lived in exile and who were now living through the return of the exiles, they wept when they saw the new temple while other people were shouting for joy. So there were a whole bunch of people in the crowd that were building. We made it back. But the ones who were there when it was broken, they were crying. Because there's a difference between building and rebuilding. And I think it's important for us to remember this as we're talking about this series. Because some of you are in a season of rebuilding. And rebuilding is hard rebuilding is hard. Maybe you're in a season of rebuilding your career or daily work. Maybe you lost your job and you're finding your way through a new season that you didn't choose on your own and yet you're having to kind of reinvent everything and figure out a new path forward and although you're like yeah okay I'm sure it's going to be great it's still hard because you weren't really ready for that change. Maybe you could be in a new season of mission or focus, the things you used to be passionate about. You're finding yourself moving away from that, and it doesn't quite fit anymore, and you're feeling like, what is going on? This thing that I used to love, it doesn't fit me anymore, and you're trying to figure it out, and you can see the new thing ahead, but yet you're still tied to the old, and it's confusing, and it's hard, and it's difficult. Maybe you're in a season of rebuilding something in your family, Something has happened in your family that has shook the structure and foundation of your home, and now you have to rebuild something totally new. Maybe it's the loss of somebody. Like in our family, we're trying to figure out how we live without my dad around, and we're having to rebuild something, and we don't want to, but we have to. Maybe there's a fracture in your marriage, and all of a sudden you're realizing, I got to rebuild something new, and I don't even know where to begin. Or maybe something's happening with one of your kids and you're in a season where your days are consumed with helping them get through it and you're having to rebuild a whole new set of priorities and appointments and attention and you were not looking for that change and yet you find yourself having to rebuild what your days look like in order to support your child through what they're going through. And it can even be a really good thing, like having a baby or your kids getting older. I remember when my youngest daddy went to kindergarten, I was like, "Woohoo! they're all gone, yeah. And then I went home and I cried all day. And I was like, what is this? The weeping and the, and the joys all together, right? Because even if it's a great thing, suddenly you're like, I don't know what to do with myself anymore. I don't, this feels different. I'm having to rebuild something and I didn't even see it coming, right? Even it could be a great new thing, like my daughter got married this summer, and so this Christmas was the first Christmas, and I had to share her, and I was like, this is a terrible idea because we have traditions, and we've done all the things that we've always done, and this year, she couldn't be there for all those things, and I had to go, okay, we're going to start new traditions. We're going to let things go, and although I love my new son-in-law, and I'm so excited for this next season, it took me by surprise in like, wait a minute. We have to change everything up. We can't do it the way that we've done it for the last 21 years, right? So even good things can cause the ground to be uneven and we have to build something new. So I think it's important to recognize that rebuilding is different than building. When you have lost something, whether it's a big thing or a small thing, it can be a mixed bag when you start to rebuild. And yes, you can rationalize all you want, that you know it's going to be okay, and you know that there are good things ahead, and that God is with you. But I think it's really important today to just recognize that it's hard. And it's okay to have the weeping mixed in with the shouts of joy. That is an okay thing. So they complete the foundation of the temple, and then what happens is they begin to face opposition. Now remember, when the Babylonians took the Israelites away, that that land didn't remain empty, but instead they sent their own people to come and settle the land. So when the Israelites return, there are other people living there, right? It's not just empty waiting for them. And typically when this would happen, the new people would welcome the old people back and they would kind of start to mesh together their cultures. They'd mesh together their religious practices. This was kind of common. They would just kind of try and, hey, welcome. Now let's all just kind of merge together and create kind of this new uh, melting pot kind of, of culture. And so that's what these people thought was going to happen. And so when the Israelites returned, we see them reach out in Ezra chapter 4. And here's what it says. The enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were rebuilding. A temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. So they approached Zerubbabel and the other leaders and said, Let us build with you, for we worship your God just as you do. Isn't that interesting? They said, Let us come. So the pagan foreigners, they come and they say, Let us come, and we're going to start to merge together all of our religious practices, but the people of Israel had just come out of a season where God had disciplined them for doing this very thing of merging their culture and merging their religions and merging their worship of God with the cultures around them. And it had led them on a path that ended up in exile. And so they were like, um, I don't think we're going to do this again, right? The people knew that this was not something that was going to be okay. So when the people approached them and said, let us worship together, their red flags are going off and of immediately. And here's how they respond in verse three. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the other leaders of Israel said, you may have no part in this work. We alone are going to build the temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, just as King Cyrus of Persia commanded us. They are like, fool me once, man, not falling for that again, right? Which seems like a great idea because they've learned their lesson. They're like, we're not gonna do that. That that led us on a bad path. But it's not so great because it angers these people living there. And now they are going to be actively opposed to the rebuilding of the Israelite people. And this is another great lesson for us to learn because not everyone is going to understand your rebuilding process. Not everyone is gonna understand. They're gonna have an idea of how you should do it, what it should look like, how they should participate in it. And yet not everyone is going to understand what God wants you to do. They might want you to rebuild in a certain way and they're gonna pressure you to do things the way they think they should be done. But you must rebuild with your eyes firmly fixed on what God wants you to do. And people will get mad, And they'll say all kinds of things and maybe even oppose you. But you cannot go back to where you were before. Ezra was wise enough to go, Zerubbabel was wise enough to go, we can't go back. That did not end well. We can't go backwards. And I know you think that this is a way forward, but that's actually exactly where we came from. And we have to move forward. Many will not understand your new season And you will face pressure to simply go back to the way things were. But you have to stop and ask, God, what are you asking of me? How do you want me to rebuild my life, my family, my career? What do you want this to look like? And then stay on that path no matter what opposition comes your way, knowing with confidence that you are following God's plans. So the pagan residents of the land begin to actively oppose the rebuilding of the temple. And this culminates in chapter 4 when they write a letter to King Artaxerxes. And they try and discredit the Israelites' people. Let me read it to you real quick. They said, To King Artaxerxes, from your loyal subjects in the presence of, of the Euphrates River, the king should know... That the Jews who came here to Jerusalem from Babylon are rebuilding this rebellious and evil city. They've already laid the foundation and will soon finish its walls. And the king should know that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed, it will be much to your disadvantage. For the Jews will then refuse to pay tribute customs and tolls to you. And since we are your loyal subjects and do not want to see the king dishonored in this way, we have sent the king this information. They're totally telling on him, right? (laughs) We suggest that a search be made in your ancestors' records, well, you will discover what a rebellious city this has been in the past. In fact, it was destroyed because of its long and troublesome history of revolt against the kings and countries who controlled it. We declare to the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed, the province west of the Euphrates River will be lost to you. So they send this letter back to the king And he gets the letter, and so he does what they say. He goes back into the Babylonian archives, and he starts looking up. Who are these people? Who are these Israelites? And then he sends back a reply, and here's what he says. The letter you sent me has been translated and read to me. I ordered a search of the records and have found that Jerusalem has indeed been a hotbed of insurrection against many kings. In fact, rebellion and revolt are normal there. Powerful kings have ruled over Jerusalem and the entire province west of the Euphrates River, receiving tributes, customs, and tolls. Therefore, issue orders to have these men stop their work. The city must not be rebuilt. except at my express command, be diligent and do not neglect this matter. For we must not permit the situation to harm the king's interests. And when the letter from King Artaxerxes was read to Rehum, Shimshai, and the colleagues, they hurried to Jerusalem. And then with a show of strength, they forced the Jews to stop rebuilding. So the work on the temple of God in Jerusalem had stopped. And it remained at a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. So now that we find that they're not just facing pressure From these people. Now they have outright stopped the rebuilding of the temple. And it's interesting that we can read through that and just kind of think, oh, it stopped and then it it, until it started. So between verses 23 and 24, and think, oh, they had to stop for a while. But do you know how much time transpires between verses 23 and 24? 16 years. It's 16 years that it stops, right? Isn't that crazy? 16 years. Let me show you a timeline for rebuilding the temple. Look how long it takes for this thing to be built. And sometimes you think, oh, well, yeah, well, they didn't have great tools. No, 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 no. They actually just stopped for 16 years. And the final thing I want to highlight today is when you and I are in the process of rebuilding, I want you to remember that rebuilding is a process and rebuilding is a messy process. It is messy. It is full of starts and stops and detours and obstacles and questioning whether or not you should keep going. I want to show you another slide. I made this today just in Photoshop right for you. The top line is what we think rebuilding should look like. The bottom is what it indeed actually does look like. Can anyone relate to that? You're like, this is going to be great. Especially like January, you're like, come on, it. this is going to be a great year. And next thing you know, you're like, whoa, hold on. We're doing a few dips and, and circles here, right? We think it should be like that, but that's not what rebuilding looks like. You move a little forward, you go a little back and take another detour. It goes a little sideways, right? And all of, listen, all building new things has its challenges. But let's talk specifically about the challenging obstacles to rebuilding, Because when we're rebuilding, we carry with us the baggage of the destruction that brought us there in the first place. So where, when you're building and you're like, ah, we hit a roadblock, that's frustrating, that's annoying. When you're rebuilding and you hit a roadblock, you go, I knew this was going to happen. Where, I knew God wasn't going to show up. I knew this wasn't going to make it. All of the baggage that you have carried with you from the destruction in the first place, just rises to the surface when you are rebuilding something, right? Maybe uh, it can be debilitating because you're still in the process of pain of the breakdown of what you experienced before. Maybe you're still trying to understand how God could have let something happen. Maybe you're scared of building something new because you think, well, what if it happens again? Maybe you're filled with uncertainty at your own abilities because you know how badly you screwed it up the first time. And now you're not totally confident that you won't make the same mistake again and mess it up again. So those setbacks and those turns feel very different when you are rebuilding than when you are building. The setbacks and obstacles of rebuilding can also, um, often lead us to just stop. And that's what happens here. We think, you know what? I'm just going to go into a holding pattern for a little while until, um, and just kind of wait it out and see if it gets better. Or we think, you know what, I just don't have the strength to fight that kind of opposition. I'm already weak. I'm already broken. I don't have the energy to deal with all those twists and turns, so I'm just going to wait, right? Or you might think, I don't even want to be here. I didn't even want to rebuild. I was really happy with what I had over there, And so the first point of opposition, it's real easy to just lay down and say, I just can't do it. It's too much, right? And many people find themselves stuck. They're too fragile or scared or exhausted to rebuild, so they just stop and the work doesn't continue. But I want us to see today how important it is to just keep going, even if it's messy And even if you're unsure of yourself, and if you really don't even want to rebuild, you want to keep moving forward. Because for the people of Israel, here's the thing. God had promised them that he was going to be with them. He had promised them that he was going to rebuild. He had promised them that he would help them and restore them and establish them back in the land he had promised So what happens to cause these people to, um, then after 16 years, snap out of their hesitancy and rebuild again? Well, let's look at Ezra chapter 5, and we're going to close with this. Ezra chapter 5 says, At the time the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Ido, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem. They prophesied in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Zerubbabel, son of Shalti, and Jesu, son of Jehozadak, responded by starting again to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them and helped them. So after 16 years, these two prophets show up. And they come and prophesy to the people to inspire them to work again on the rebuilding of the temple. So what did they say? What did they say that was this magic thing that got them to go to work again? Well, we can find out, but we don't find out in Ezra. You've got to go a couple books ahead and go back to Haggai, the book Haggai chapter 1. A real barn burner, Haggai, right? But in Haggai chapter 1, this is where we see the message that comes to the people. The people have been sitting there, just waiting, just treading water. And this prophet, finally after 16 years, comes, and this is what he says to them, and this is what motivates them to rebuild, on August 29th, the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shaltiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses when my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what is happening to you. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but you're not satisfied. You drink and you're still thirsty. You put on clothes but you can't keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up to the hills. Bring down the timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and I will be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I've called a drought on your fields and your hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. And then Zerubbabel, son of Shielta and Jeshu, son of Jehozadek, the high priest and whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord, their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel. I'm not going to say all those names again. And the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. And they began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of Heaven's armies, on September 21st, the second year of King Darius's reign. The people had faced opposition, so they just stopped. And then they started living their own lives and just doing their own thing and rebuilding the way that they wanted to do. And so God sent circumstances to frustrate them, and then he sent a messenger to wake them up. He sent circumstances. The prophet says, look at your life. You're planting much and harvesting little. You're eating, but you're not satisfied. You're drinking, but you're still thirsty, meaning you are trying everything you know to try and build yourself a new life. And you are dissatisfied and frustrated. Why? Because you're trying to do it your own way. And you're trying to do it in your own timing." And you're letting the circumstances stop you. And I've told you what to do, and you're not doing it. And the Lord gave them so much time, right? So much time, 16 years. And yet they were stuck. And yet God allowed this frustration to come. The things they were trying to do in their own strength and with their own hands were just frustrating. It just wasn't working. Have you ever had a season like that? You're like, "Ah, I swear I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, and nothing is working. You need to ask yourself the question, has God asked me to do something first? Is there something I haven't done? Am I trying to just do this in my own strength? Because God says to these people, do you know why you're dissatisfied and frustrated? Because you have not done what I told you to do. You're building yourself houses, and yet my house is still in ruins. I was rebuilding something, and I had a plan and a sequence and a timeline, and you have instead chose your own plan and your own sequence and your own timeline And nothing is coming together in the way you had hoped because you haven't obeyed me and followed my plan. But I love that when the people heard this message, it says they heard the message and they feared the Lord. They simply just said, you're right. We messed this up. You're right. And God responds back by just saying, I am with you. I love how kind and gracious the Lord was to them. There wasn't this big, long lecture. I mean, there was a little lecture. But it just, once they said, oh, yeah, okay. He was like, okay, let's go. Let's go. I'm with you. You don't have to be afraid. It doesn't matter what King Cyrus says. Let's get back on mission. Let's start rebuilding again. And even though they would still face opposition and they would still face obstacles, they remembered that the rebuilding was not happening because the king of Persia said they could rebuild. Or because the people around them supported the work that they were doing. They were going to be able to rebuild because God said they could rebuild. And they had to get that into their spirits. The rebuilding would happen because God had said it. And he would help them. I love that verse 14 says, the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of the people. What a great thing to have happen. That God would come back and go, I know you felt stuck, but guess what? Let's just get back to it. And he sparked the enthusiasm. And some of you tonight have gotten stuck in your rebuilding. You faced opposition. You just couldn't get past the pain. Those curves and those detours just got to be too much. Or maybe you were afraid of failing or being unsuccessful. So you simply just turned your attention to something else like these people did. They just started building their own houses. Let me just try and figure out a new way. And you are frustrated. And you are dissatisfied. And you know something is out of sequence. And today you need to say, okay, Lord, you're right. You're right. I got to get back to what you said first. You have to simply just admit it and then get back on track. And the Lord will once again spark enthusiasm for the thing he has for you. You might think, I don't even, I don't have enthusiasm for that anymore. Get back in alignment with the order of what God has. And that enthusiasm will come back. So tonight as we close, I just want to pray for you and any rebuilding that you might be doing in your life. I want to pray for those who are simply in the beginning stages of rebuilding something in your life. And you're not building, you are for sure rebuilding. And you're not even sure how you got there. You don't even want to be there. And everything about it feels so overwhelming I am praying that God will help you sort through all the hurt and disappointment and loss that brought you to this place. And that you will see that there is a future and a hope ahead for you. And that even if you didn't want to be there, God's going to help you rebuild something. And it is going to surprise you. And it is going to inspire you. And it is going to be filled with a double portion of blessing that you could never imagine. And I want to pray for those of you who are facing opposition to your rebuilding that God is trying to do something new in your life and the people around you keep pulling you back and they keep going, why are you doing it that way? Why are you changing this? Why can't we just go back to the way things were? And you're facing opposition. I am praying that you have the absolute diligence and fortitude to stay on the path God has for you, to keep your eyes firmly fixed on him and to not look to the right or to the left and get distracted, but to stay exactly in step with what God has asked of you. And lastly, I want to pray for those who have gotten stuck and have stopped rebuilding. It might be 16 years. It might be 16 days. But if God has asked you to do something and you have stopped moving forward in it tonight, all you have to do is say, okay, Lord, I hear you. You're right. Please spark enthusiasm in my life for your will and your plan again. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that we don't have to figure it all out ourselves. Sometimes we're just waiting to to understand it all, to have all the answers, to to be able to fully understand how we got in the places that we got and what's exactly ahead. But Lord, you ask us to trust you, which means we simply do what you say. And Lord, there are many people here today that find themselves in the state of rebuilding, And, Lord, we recognize tonight that that comes with a whole lot of baggage. There's a whole lot of circumstances that have happened that led up to the point where you have to rebuild something. And so, first of all, I pray, Lord, that you would be close to those that are still hurting, that are still almost in shock. How did I get here? Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would be so close, you would be so near. And that they would know, no matter how they got there, you are with them, you are for them, and you have plans ahead for them. I thank you, Lord, for that. And second, Lord, I pray for those that are facing opposition. I pray, God, that you would put something in their bones that would keep them fully fixed on you to walk forward in what you've called them to do, not look to the right or to the left, not be intimidated by the opinions of others around them. But God, they would keep moving forward because they are walking the path that God has ordained for them and they will not be deterred. And lastly, I pray for those, God, that have stopped, that it's just felt like too much. It's felt like too big of an obstacle, and so they've, they've just moved away from it. They've gotten distracted by something else. Lord, I pray today would be a wake-up call to get back in alignment with what you have asked. I thank you, Lord, that you have the perfect time frame, the perfect timetable. And sometimes, Lord, those twists and turns are a part of you shaping us for what's ahead. So if there are delays, let us not rush ahead of you. If there are setbacks, let us not throw up our hands and give up. But Lord, let us stay in step with you, knowing that if you've started the work, you will finish the work. I pray you would spark enthusiasm in people tonight. I pray, God, that you would reignite dreams and visions that you've put in their hearts. And in Jesus' name, that it would be a new beginning and they would get back to work. We thank you for all of these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight. We're so happy you're here. If you need prayer, feel free to come up forward. We'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, enjoy your soup.